Anyways, hope you're all doing good. A um, couple things I wanted to let you know about this morning. Uh, first off is uh, prayer. Tonight at 7, okay, we're here gathering for an hour of prayer. And then um, with regards to our midweek uh, gathering, a little bit of change of plans since what we announced last week. Um, we wanted to just pause our walk through the Bible and do some summer gatherings. And uh, the plan was to go to Chaster House for the whole month of July. But then the SCRD pulled that plug this past week. Um, so what we're going to do is go to Georgia Beach, okay? So this Wednesday, we're going to Georgia Beach instead, and then hopefully the, the Chaster House is going to open up for us towards the end of the month of July. So Wednesday night, we'll, yeah, head over to the beach, and you need to still go to the church website. Just book a spot for your household and how many folks you got coming, because we got to keep it to 50. Bring your own dinner. Bring a lawn chair. We're going to spend some time in worship, have a Devo, you know, have the bocce out and the badminton and... I don't know, all that stuff, and just hang out, bring your bathing suit, you want to go for a swim, whatever you want to do, okay? So enjoy the summertime together. Okay, cool? 5.30, 5.30 on Wednesday night, so RSVP. And then, um, hey, just wanted to tell you about this too. I, I got a text this morning from Amy and Ben Eady, my sister and um, her husband and family, uh, whom you guys know, and this is their home church, and uh, they're overseas serving with Missions Aviation Fellowship, and went back uh, in August, and the plan was this, that um, they were going to be moving from, uh, they're in former Borneo, East Cali, Montana, in a place called Tarakan, and they were going to be moving from Tarakan to Papua. Uh, It was supposed to happen in June, and then all this stuff's gone down, right? So with COVID and everything, and so there's been lots of things on hold, and all of a sudden, they got notice that they had to like leave, like instantly so they had 24 hours. Uh, they're about, they got about, uh, about eight hours to go until 24 hours is up to pack up their house. They were, you know, pretty much prepared, but didn't get much notice because they had to like, they won't allow you to leave uh, Tarakan unless you're tested and then you get a negative response to the test. So they were all cleared and they said, you guys got to go right now. So they have to fly to Jakarta, spend a week in Jakarta, and then they have to be, have negative tests before they're allowed to go to the new mission space in Santani. So they've got a little bit of a whirlwind going on. They've like all of a sudden given away their pets and packing up the last few things in the house and kind of, unsus- you know, not expecting that to happen so quickly after, I don't know how long they've been there. They've, I think about eight years or nine, nine years they've been in that city serving those people and have to leave in 24 hours. So um, they just asked for prayer this morning and just want to pass on that update to you guys and uh, praying that things will go smooth while they're in Jakarta so that they can get to the new base and get set up in a new city to serve the Lord there, okay? So cool, we'll, pr- we'll pray for them and uh, just pray for our time as we come to God's Word. Let's do that. Let's bow our heads. Lord, just thank you that we could be together this morning and uh, just in these days, Lord, we don't take this opportunity for granted. It's good to be together. And Lord, I just pray that each person here would just uh, feel the strengthening of fellowship and being with God's people and encouraging one another and spurring one another on. And Lord, we just recognize what your word tells us to do, that your word says that as we see the day approaching, we're not to stop doing this. And so Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity to be together with our church family. Pray God your blessing upon each one. Lord, this morning we just remember part of our extended family that's overseas serving you in Indonesia and Amy and Ben and uh, the kids, uh, Luke and Simon and Charlotte and Helena 
And uh, I can't imagine what's happening in their hearts, Lord, as they're quickly having to leave a place where they've served for nine years. God, we just pray for your comfort in their hearts. We pray uh, for your peace to rule, Lord, just as they uh, say goodbye to team members and uh, people that they've loved in that city. God, that you would pour out your grace and blessing upon them, Lord. Protect them as they travel. God, we continue to pray that as they face tests, uh, God, that there would be uh, negatives and uh, that you'd leave them safely to Santani. And so just be with them, Lord, we pray, especially for them right now. Just comfort God and strength for these days, we pray. And uh, Lord, as we come to your word, we just thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to have a meal with you and uh, to sit at your feet. Jesus, we want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And so, Lord, would you open our ears, open the eyes and ears of our heart. Pray, God, that we would be sensitive to your spirit speaking, Lord. Thank you um, for that which you have for us. And we just commit it to you and ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, cool. We're in Joshua chapter 9. And uh, yeah, we arrive here, just a, maybe just a quick backup briefing on where we've been and what's been going on. We have, we've been coming to Joshua, which tells tells the story of God's people, the children of Israel, finally coming into their inheritance in the promised land that had been promised to Abraham centuries beforehand. They'd spent 400 years in slavery, 40 years wandering in the desert, and finally they cross the river Jordan. They get on the right side of the river into the land that is their inheritance in the Lord. And uh, they encounter quite quickly two enemies that they defeat, the city of Jericho, famous story, Joshua chapter 6, marching around the walls of the city, uh, and God causes the walls to come tumbling down, and Jericho is defeated, and then they face the city of Ai, which originally, in their presumption, they go against them, assuming easy victory, and they're defeated, and then God leads them to be restored and to win the battle against uh, i.e., and now they're about to face their third enemy, okay? So one and two down, number three is up. And um, it's an interesting picture for us because one of the applications we've been making, one of the things we've been seeing in here is the picture that the New Testament gives us, that the Christian, that followers of Jesus have three primary enemies that we face, the world, the flesh, our own flesh, and the devil, and these battles that Israel faces against these enemies are pictured in each, or illustrated in each one of these battles. And so in the defeat of Jericho, we see victory of God's people over the world. God brings the victory. All they do is march around the city and God brings the victory over the world. Then we see in, in the defeat of Ai, the, the battle against the flesh, and we we watched Israel fall down in their failure and in their presumption, and then we watched God work and lead them to victory and show them a strategy to have victory over IE, and it illustrated for us the battle against the flesh. And now as we come to this next foe, it pictures the battle against Satan, the devil, the, the evil one. So you got the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so in defeating the first two foes, um, chapter 8, where we left off, we saw this picture that, that after, God, after God's people had defeated their second enemy, they took some time apart to go and seek the Lord. They, they went and recommitted themselves to be 
uh, God's covenant people to live according to God's word, to recognize and count themselves as God's nation and to say, Lord, we're going to live by your laws. We're going to live as covenant people. We're going to live according to your instructions and your word, and we're going to commit to being, to being obedient to your word. And we recognize this, that as you've declared, if we're obedient, you will bless us. And we recognize this, that if we're disobedient, you will bring judgment upon us and curses upon us. And we agree to it, Lord. We agree to the blessing and we agree to the curse because we just want to be your people. And we want to honor you. And it's in the shadow of this fresh commitment where they're like, we're going to serve God. That we pick up this account in Joshua chapter 9 and we see what happens here. So let's check it out. Verse 1, it says this. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and we'll throw the Parasites in there. They heard of this, and they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Now, it's amazing when you read this, I kind of wonder this. It's like, well, how come these guys didn't band together already? You know, how come they already hadn't decided to be one unit against God's people? Israel had defeated Jericho. Israel had defeated Ai. And these enemies didn't come together to battle as one against God's people until this actually happened, until what we saw last week happened, until God's people said, you know what? We're going to live as God's people. We're going to live as those who are obedient to God's law. We're going to trust God and say, God, we want to be identified as your people and honor your word. And I think that the timing of this is really significant and important to note that Israel had freshly committed themselves to serve the Lord in the land in which they lived. That he'd given them. They had never been more conscious of their obligation of obedience than they were right at this moment. They had never been more conscious and determined to live by grace, to live a life fully committed to the Lord as they were at this moment. And it's interesting to see this is when the enemy said, you know what, we got to attack these people. It's when God's people are in this place that they actually draw the attention of the enemy. And it's interesting as we're going to see this, this picture Satan, because look at Satan is quite happy for you to coast along in your faith. In fact, he loves it. He loves nothing more than lukewarm Christians. I think that he loves lukewarm Christians more than he loves cold, icy cold Christians. Because lukewarm people deceive themselves. They, they believe that they're hot for Christ when only, they're only lukewarm and, and they can deceptively convince themselves, well, I'm hot enough for Jesus. And Satan, Satan's attitude is always this, yeah, leave the lukewarm alone. Leave them alone. I mean, they're harming no one. They've deceived themselves. Just don't touch them. But here's the thing. Israel was not lukewarm at this point in time. They were hot for the Lord. They're like, we are going to serve God and we're fired up to serve God and, and we're fired up to honor God's word and to live as God's people and come what may, we're going to do it. We're going to seek to serve God. And the devil always wants you and I to do this. He's like, no, 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 cool your jets, man. Chill out that Jesus stuff. That's enough gospel. Stop it, you know. You're taking this whole thing way too serious. You're taking the Bible too serious. 
taking church too serious. Calm down. Don't be so fired up. You're so enthusiastic. You need to chill out, brah. And, and the truth is this. Being fired up for Jesus and fired up about the word of God and fired up for serving the Lord always draw the, draws the ire of the enemy. The enemy would far rather we were lukewarm than hot for Jesus. And you know, you think about it, as, as, as we get hot for the Lord and excited about the Lord and get victories in the Lord, well, that, that invites attack from the enemy. It's just what happens. I mean, the enemy can leave you alone when you're cold for Jesus when you're, or when you're lukewarm. But when you're hot and you're experiencing the blessings of God, he says, enough of that. And so one of the things we're going to see here is just that blessings and battles always go side by side. How many of you guys feel like you're in a battle these days? Yeah, man, it's coming at us in waves from all sorts of sides. And battles and blessings go hand in hand. And so in the midst of them, we want to be hot for Jesus. So let's check out what happened. Verse 3 says this, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning, and they went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins and worn-out and torn and mended with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. They were all worn out. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. So here's what these guys did. They, they, they dressed the part. Uh, I was teasing Kim about her holy jeans this morning. I saw my son afterwards. You know, Eli was wearing pants that were shredded all the way like this, and I sound like an old man saying, look at people pay money for that stuff. And uh, that's exactly what these guys did. They went to, got all the worn out, torn up stuff, dressed up the part, dressed up their animals, got their broken wineskins, gave it all, you know, didn't shave for a while, make sure they were covered with dirt and and filth and, and dressed up the part to appear that they had traveled this great distance. Now, the truth was they'd only come 40 kilometers, just so you kind of, if you, if you want to catch the idea. But it was all a lie. So let's, let's see what happens. Verse 6. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, <clears throat> We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as food for the journey on the day that we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So here's the cell job, man. This is the, this is the cell job in it. And, 
The invitation is make a covenant with us. We want to serve you. And I, I, I read this, you just hear about all this worn out stuff that they're wearing. Now, this, like, look at our shoes, look at our, look at our sandals, look at our clothes. Remember what, what happened to the children of Israel while they wandered in the desert for 40 years? God preserved their clothing. That's what the scripture says, that their sandals were not worn out. But these guys, here's this picture, worn, worn out. I just, it reminds me of just the thought here again, that these guys are not from the Lord. And they say, make a covenant with us, a contract. Let's make an agreement of peace between us, and we'll serve you. Now, Israel at this point didn't know that these were locals. God had instructed that when they came into the land, they were to wipe out, to bring judgment upon, they were to execute the judgment of God upon all the inhabitants of the land, the seven nations that dwelt in the land of Canaan, and they were to be wiped out as God's people took the land. But these folks said this, let's make a deal. We, we, can, we can negotiate. There can be peace to us, between us. We can, we can come to an agreement. And as we read this, we just see this is, this is deception, man. It was a full-out lie. And you know, this is how the devil works. When we're hot for the Lord, this is how he how he comes to us and he says, you know, there can be peace between us. We can have a level of agreement here. We can have a, a bit of a peaceful settlement. You can serve Jesus and you can let this area live in your life too. Maybe this area of sin or this area of agreement with the world. Or you can, you, we can find some peace here. You could just cool your jets. Fun fact here, the Bible says that these Gibeonites were called Hivites. I was telling this to Lisa as I was studying this. I said, I'm not going to include it in the message because just for the sake of time, I'm having to learn this new thing of keeping to a one-hour service, okay? So I said, I'm going to leave this out. She said, don't leave that out. It's super interesting. She said, it's a fun fact. So I said, okay, I'll call it a fun fact. Here's the fun fact about the Hivites. They actually appear in the scripture in Genesis chapter 34. In Genesis chapter 34, we read the story of Jacob coming back to the land after he'd been away living in uh, Ur of the Chaldeans in the household of his father-in-law Laban. And he comes back to the land of Canaan with his wives and his children. And they settle in Shechem. And the residents of Shechem, one of the sons of Shechem, takes Jacob's daughter and he violates her. It's a brutal story. One of those brutal stories in the Bible. And... Uh, and then he says, I want to marry your, he comes to Jacob and he says, I want to marry your daughter. And so Jacob says to his sons, what should I do with this Hivite who's done this thing to your daughter, to my daughter? And the sons of Jacob were shrewd, the Bible says, and they said, tell them they can have our sister in marriage. Just if they're going to have a relationship with us, we're God's covenant people. And the sign of that is circumcision. All the males in their household have to be circumcised for real. <laughs> What a negotiation. It's so, uh, this city agrees to do this. And the Bible says that while all the men were still in pain and recovering, the sons of Jacob went into the city and they killed every single male with the sword for what they had done to their sister. That was the Hivites. So we've got, it was deception on the work of God's people. And now here it's like... Uh, it's coming back upon them. The descendants of those who had 
so wickedly deceived the Hivites were now being deceived by them. So fun fact. So Joshua asked, who are you? Where are you from? But they didn't answer. Did you catch that? They, they skirted it. As you read it, you see that very clearly. They skirted the question. Because if they, re- if they revealed who they were and where they were from, there would be no negotiations and there would be no making peace. And look, this is how the devil works. This is how Satan schemes. If he came right out and went, I'm the devil, you'd know better. You'd know, I, I'm not falling for that. So what does he do? He lies. That's what the scripture says, that when he lies, when he deceives, he is speaking his native tongue. And the Bible says he comes, he clothes himself as an angel of light. I remember years ago, sitting in um, the black bean, having a coffee with someone and I was, or I was studying, I was doing something and I was listening to a conversation behind me, overhearing, not trying to listen. Come on, I wasn't eavesdropping. It's just, it was loud enough. And I heard this young, young mom, she was into all sorts of spiritual stuff. That's why I was like, wow, this is an interesting conversation. And she was talking about her daughter having dreams and an angel of light coming to her daughter in dreams. I thought, ooh, sounds like Satan, man. He disguises himself as an angel of light, the Bible says. He clothes himself in sheep's clothing and sells God's people with deception in some area of compromise in an area where we might sell ourselves short of God's best for us. So let's read on and see what happens. Verse 14. It says this, So the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. That's ominous. Verse 15. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. It's interesting that they had moldy bread and empty wineskins. It actually says that they took these things from them, that Israel accepted these provisions. It's interesting, you know, like, One of the things you see in the New Testament about Jesus, that when Jesus would come and he would build a relationship with people, he'd say, come on, let's go to your house. And they would sit down and what would they do? They'd eat together. They'd share a meal together. It's interesting, even you turn to the book of Genesis, what's the first thing Satan did when he tempted Adam and Eve? What did they do together? They ate together. And Satan, at work here, through the Gibeonites, God's people sit down to receive a meal from them. And what is it? Moldy bread and empty wineskins. Interesting picture, I think, of the Lord's table. Bread and wine. In fact, I think it highlights for us the importance of God's table. We're going to come to God's table next week. And uh, I, I was so excited about that the first week that we were back together and we were going to just participate in the Lord's Supper together to come to the table and remember the body and blood of the Lord, the, the body of God, which the body of Jesus represented in the bread, the blood of Jesus represented with the cup. And you know, when you and I aren't going to the Lord's table, when the wineskin is empty and the bread is moldy, we begin to lose sight of of what sin does to us. That's why coming to the table of the Lord is so important. It's a reminder. This body, this bread represents my body. This cup represents my blood, which was shed for you. And when you and I come and we eat of 
fresh bread, the broken body of Jesus, and drink of the, the cup which pictures the shed blood of Jesus, we realize this, we're reminding ourselves this, sin destroys, but Jesus gives life. And our thinking can be this as we are not meeting with the Lord, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a small area, that, that thing. Sin is no big deal. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, eat of my body, drink of my blood, and recognize what your sin cost me. What it cost me? It cost me my life to redeem you. And so here's the children of Israel. They partake. It's like quickly, I just think, you know, they were so committed to being God's people and serving God and the enemy comes and deceives them and it's like complacency is quickly settling in. It comes fast, doesn't it? Don't you find that in your life? Complacency comes so fast. It's like I could be on fire in the morning and by mid-morning, complacency is coming. It's rolling in. And it's a sure sign. Like when you're complacent and the devil can deceive you like that, it's a, it's a sign that pride is at work. You know, Joshua didn't dig. He didn't say, no, where are you from? Who are you? And the enemy appealed to his pride, said, oh, we want to serve you. We want to, have, we want to serve your God. And then this whole scene, and so they make a covenant of peace between them that Israel would let them live. That's what it says. God had said, don't let any inhabitant of that land live. Israel said, you can live. And the mistake, the mistake, really where you see the mistake, it's so simple and so serious. It just says this, they didn't ask counsel of the Lord. That's what they didn't do. That was what was missing. They didn't ask counsel of God. And and it's, you know, it just makes me think this. Don't ever trust your own judgment. I want to tell you that as a follower of Jesus, don't ever trust your own judgment. Life is full of difficulties. And we should take everything to God in prayer. This was, the miss, this was missing, and it's why the enemy was successful. And, and I would just tell you this. Look, at in any area of life where you're unsure, you're like, okay, what does God want here? If you don't know, don't move. Just stay still. Hold your ground. Stand your spot. If in doubt, do nothing. <laughs> Ask God what to do. Ask him to show you. Ask him to reveal you. You know, James chapter 1, verse 5 says this. If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to you. God wants to give you wisdom to show you what to do, to guide you, to direct your life. Proverbs chapter 3 Verse 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. This week, I was on the phone with a friend. He's involved in ministry here in Canada. He's planting. He's American. And it's come to the point where his family has to get permanent residency, and there's big obstacles in front of them. It's like, Big bucks, big obstacles, lawyers, the whole thing. And it's like, has God called us here? Has he not called us here? We have to say, man, we can't. We need to just pray. Not rely on our own understanding. These obstacles are small to the Lord, but let's pray about this. Let's ask God to make the path straight. He'll show, he'll guide. And Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 just tells us to trust in God with all of your heart. That, that means this, to make him exclusively your confidence. 
God, I trust you. Exclusively, entirely, you are the confidence of my life. To lean not on your own understanding is to renounce your own wisdom. To say, God, I refuse. I just refuse to apply all of my reason and critical thinking and logic to this. I need you just to speak. Would you speak and adjust my reason and bring it in line with you? To acknowledge Him in all your ways is is to accept and to realize His rule, His supremacy, His preeminence, and to ask counsel of Him, to seek His glory and to let Him confirm His will, acknowledge Him in all of your ways. And these are the promises of God. Like He says, if you ask, Matthew Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 says this, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, to him who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. That's what Jesus said. And God gives us these promises, and, and if we'll follow these conditions, God's guidance is actually guaranteed. It's not like, yeah, I might show you. He says, I will. I will make the path straight. I will answer you if you ask. I will open the door if you knock. And the problem often is this, is that instead of trusting the Lord with all of our hearts, man, I'm just personally prone to put my confidence in everything else, anything else, anyone else, quickly. And so here we look at the children of Israel, and instead of by walking by faith, Israel is essentially walking by sight. They're using their own natural, natural reason, relying on their own senses. Look at the wine. Look at how worn out those clothes are. They've obviously come a long ways. They're acting like natural people rather than spiritual people. Instead of guidance from the Lord, they were confiding in their own wisdom, relying on their own judgment, and, and it prevented them from looking to God. And so it just makes me think this, you know, there's, there's so many things fighting to take us out. So many areas looking to deceive us, sin looking to deceive us. Look at, we, we as Christians, we're not to negotiate with terrorists. Those who threaten the rule of God. We don't make peace with inward enemies. We don't make peace with sin. We don't negotiate with the devil. And, and so the Instruction of Scripture is this, before entering into alliances, pray, man. Seek the Lord. You know, I think, what are the alliances we can enter into? Marriage, you know, that's one. Business, financial arrangements, relationships with other people, cultural movements and pressures. And I think that the instruction from the Word of God is is that we pray. We ask God for wisdom. We don't just buy every worn out garment that is presented to us. Now let's check out what happens here. Verse 16. It says this. At the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shapirath, Biroth, and Kirith Jerem. You know, as I read this, I'm like, uh, I'm really thankful that the Bible includes the victories and the defeats of God's people. 
Imagine if the Bible was just victories. Like you just read it and you're like, every character and every person was always victorious. You'd be like, okay, I suck. But the Bible's like real. It's like one of the authentic things about Scripture that makes it really authentic. It shows the victories and the failures of God's people and it shows how God works by His grace to redeem everything for His glory in the midst of it. And... and if the Bible didn't recount, you know, the failures of God's people, we'd have, we'd have a lot of reasons to feel completely defeated in our missteps. But God wants to work even when we misstep. And one of the things that strikes me about these verses as you read it is just three days. It's like twice in there. At the end of three days. On the third day. Which is worth just thinking about and considering that that's important that Joshua said that. Yeah, three days, man. After three days, we figured it out. I mean, it's significant for us, right? The picture of three days. We know what happened, why three days is important to us as followers of Jesus. The first day, Jesus was crucified and died on the cross and he was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He was victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the devil, and, and there's something happening here. God, God's people are being led to victory. They're, they're, they're coming to a realization that they're, they're getting back to resurrection ground. Now I think, well, why were, why were they deceived? Well, the enemy was saying to them, don't be so uptight. Don't worry about this issue. That's what the devil said. There's no threat to you. We can, we can have an arrangement here. But they had to arrive, you know, at these cities on the third day and recognize, oh, man, what were we doing? We need to put on the new man. That's what the New Testament tells us. We need to walk in the Spirit. That's what the New Testament tells us. We need to be governed and ruled by heaven. Get on resurrection ground. And in communion with the Lord, live like those who have been saved. And here are these cities. They're located just yeah, three days away, 40 kilometers away, very close to Jerusalem. Now, let's check out what happens. Verse 18. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we have sworn to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. I love this. They said, let them live. We entered into this agreement. We entered into a covenant. We shouldn't have done it. We recognize it now. We never should have done it. But this is important. We swore something before the Lord. And so we have to let them live. And to me, this is like, this just shows the importance of us being men and women who honor our word. Following through with what we say we would do. Following through with action, the things that we've spoken and this was not an alliance, like, you know, that God approved Gibeonites and Israel. But nevertheless, Israel did not break the covenant. 
they would have to follow through with the arrangement that they, would, that they had made. And they said, we're going to, you know, essentially going to have to trust God to work in the midst of this and on our behalf. And probably, I, I just think like the, probably the best illustration of this that I can think of from Scripture is marriage. <laughs> you know, God's Word gives instruction about marriage, a lot of instruction. And one of the things God word, God's Word clearly instructs us on is this, is that a believer is not to be unequally yoked. Meaning that a Christian should not marry a non-believer. And... You know, guess what? It happens in life, doesn't it? It happens. And, you know, I just think about different scenarios of how that could play out. You know, whether one gets, two people get married and then one of them gets saved after the fact and now you've got one believer in a marriage and one who's not serving the Lord. What do you do? Or I think about situations that often happen in churches. I got one that's just famous in my family's mind historically, that I think of where, you know, a man maybe comes into a church and wins the heart of a woman and pretends to be a follower of Jesus and seals the deal and they get buried. And then, lo and behold, man, he's not a follower of Jesus and he's not interested in living or serving Jesus. That wife is left alone to walk with the Lord. Or maybe a believer just decides, I know that God's word says, but we can make this work. I can lead this person to faith in the Lord, and I can win this non-believer over, and, and, and a follower of Jesus just completely disregards the word and enters into a marriage unequally yoked. A covenant's been made. And the command to not be unequally yoked is serious, but the Lord also instructs in his word that anyone who finds themselves in one of those situations is not to break the covenant. They're to honor it. They're to honor the commitment that they've made to the Lord and not leave that marriage. And, and the Lord says, look at if that unbelieving partner decides to leave, then hey, then that's, it is what it is. But for you who've made a covenant before me, you stay. You honor your word before me. But here's the beauty of what God's word tells us in 1 Corinthians. It says this, and I don't know how else works, but it's amazing. God says this, but the believing partner will make the non-believing one holy. God's saying, I'll, I'll work in the midst of it if you'll just honor my word even after the fact. And here is Israel. There were those in Israel who said, yeah, what the heck? We made this covenant of peace with Gibeon and they were deceiving us. We got to terminate this thing, end this agreement. And Joshua said to the leaders, no, we, we made this agreement before the Lord. Uh, we're going to honor this situation and we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to trust God to work in the midst of it. And the Gibeonites, they can forever be cutters of wood and drawers of water for us, he says. Now let's check out. Let's read on verse 22 to the end here. Joshua summoned them and said to them, why did you deceive us saying we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told your servants for certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all of the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives 
because of you and did this thing. Verse 25, and now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight, do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. And they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Man, this is amazing to just read this. And I, th- I think this, it's, you know, like, God forgives our sins. When we come to him, his word tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But even when our sins are forgiven, often we have to like eat the fruits of our action. We got to face the realities of the folly. And Joshua and the children of Israel, they had committed sin. They had folly. They had made a, a real error here in not seeking the Lord. But the but the leaders of God, uh, or sorry, the leaders of the people trusted God and, and they said, you know, God can work in the midst of this for his own glory and for the benefit. And, and God has provided us with useful servants here. That's what he says, which is interesting. You know, God can do that. Do you know that God wants to work in your areas where you've compromised and made deals with the devil? And God wants to turn those into servants for you. Areas of life that will serve you so that you'll recognize, oh man, I blew it here. And every time you think about that spot, what do you do? You learn to run to the Lord. God turns our mistakes into his advantages. Here's the Hivites. There were a Canaanite clan who belonged to an accursed race, and God actually worked to spare them in the midst of it. It's actually kind of shocking. Uh, he spared their lives on the ground of a covenant that was made by an oath, and it just reminds me of the gospel. Like, I, I read this, and I can hear the gospel at the end of this story. They say to Joshua, you're right, we did it. They acknowledged their sin before Joshua. They said, we're in your hands. <laughs> Whatever you need to do to us, do it. Isn't that our spot before the Lord? Sinners. It's true. Lord, I acknowledge it. I, I committed sin against you. I guess I'm in your hands and you're going to do whatever you're going to do. And Joshua, here's a great picture of Jesus. <laughs> he says, I'm going to let you live. And you're going to serve in the house of God. Amazing. Amazing. And that's the story of the gospel that you, know, you and I are made in the image of God, created for relationship with God. We, we rebelled in the image of our first father, the first Adam, and ate of the fruit, and born in sin, born in rebellion, born into a broken relationship with our creator, and, and fallen. And God did this. He sent his son Jesus to save us. And Jesus... The greatest Joshua bore our sin in his body on that tree and went to the cross on our behalf, gave his life on our behalf and and died and was raised to life, victorious over sin. And then he offers to us life and says, 
Not only will I give you life, I'll forgive you of your sin. Uh, You will become the house of God, which is amazing. You will become the temple of the living God. And here's these, these folks here. They're made cutters of wood and drawers of water. What are they going to do? They're going to collect wood to stoke the flame at God's altar. They're going to collect water to wash so that God's people could purify themselves in the presence of God. I just realized this and I just think it's comforting to know that God's like so much bigger than my mistakes. God's so much bigger than our missteps. And he can overrule them as I I just come to him and say, God, I, I blew it. I'm asking you to work. He can bring blessings out of our sins. And you know what I think about with regards to this is Samson. Like what a character in the Bible. Blew it, blew it, blew it, blew it. Like big missteps in his life, big areas of sin. And Samson learned to say this. He said this, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. He realized God was at work even when he blew it, if he would just come to the Lord. And there are natural consequences of sin. They have to run their course, but they don't have to rule over us. And amazingly, Joshua said the Gibeonites, they're going to serve in the inner chamber. You know, they reappear in scripture hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later, when God's people had been taken into captivity in Babylon, and finally, under the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, there was an opportunity to return to the land of Israel, rebuild Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple. Do you know who came with the children of Israel? The Gibeonites, 500 of them. They said, we just want to serve in the house of God. We want to be those who stoke the flame and provide water. And they continued to serve in the house of God. So look at, I I think about this story. I want to take you back to verse 24 for a second here. When the Gibeonites answered Joshua, they said this, because it was told to your servants for certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all of the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. You know why Satan comes to deceive? Because he knows what God's given into your hands. He recognizes all the blessing and good stuff and the inheritance that God has for you, and he knows he's toast. He knows he's done. And because he knows he's done, he comes to deceive. And so church, we want to be looking out for that. We want to recognize that as God pours out his blessing on our lives, there are going to be battles and they're going to come side by side, those blessings and those battles. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If, if you've been facing battles, man, then know this, God's blessings right there along with it. If you haven't been facing any battles, I would tell you, you should take a hard look in the mirror at what's going on in your walk with Jesus. Because Satan's quite comfortable to leave those alone who aren't on fire for the Lord. And so I think, you know, if we were to draw some application things from this text, number one is this, inquire of the Lord always, church. Everything to God in prayer. And there's this temptation in life to like be in a panic, to be in a hurry. You know, God's never in a rush. Never in a rush. 
We can never be in too big of a hurry to pray over anything and everything. And there's always this tempt to just make things, a temptation to make things happen in the flesh. But if we want to fight the fight of faith and be on, on pace with the Lord, then everything to God and prayer, we constantly need wisdom from above. I just think this, like, in these days in which we live, we need wisdom from above. <laughs> Never more have we needed it. So look at, for a follower of Jesus, independence. This is a theme for us in Joshua there is no independence for followers of Jesus. Big matters, little matters, inquire of the Lord. God, what's your heart? What's your mind? What do you want me to do? What's the position you want me to take? So inquire of the Lord. Second thing is this. Honor your word. It's a hard thing to do. But let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Just be a man or woman of your word. And then the third thing is this. Bring your failures to the Lord. It's beautiful to see this story and just recognize that God's bigger than our mistakes. God's bigger than our missteps. The Lord is greater than our sin. He can bring good out of all of these things, but we got to bring it to him and say, Lord, make this your servant. Make it my servant, God. Make it serve me instead of rule over me. <laughs> I made a covenant of peace with this thing, God. It was wrong. I ask you to make it serve you. And so as I think about this text, what, what the challenge to me really was, was this, was uh, the need to be on fire for the Lord. And, you know, God's people have to do that all the time. Make a fresh commitment to say, God, I want to be a man of your word. I want to be a woman of your word. I want to honor you. I, I want to walk in a way that's in accordance with obedience to who you are. I want my life to shine for you, Jesus. I want to, in these days, live for you. God's people have to do that over and over and over again. And I think this text provides us with a chance to do that. And so what I want to 